Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF podcast where we discuss technology and finance. Uh, I'm here with Brad Chase. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about strategy. Uh, before we get started, please make sure that you are uh, subscribed and listening on our channels, uh, as well as following us on social at, at TF Labs. Uh, and with that, Brad, I'd love if you could introduce yourself to everybody. Well, hello. Um, I'm, again, I'm Brad Chase. I'm a longtime senior Microsoft executive who worked on projects ranging from Windows 95 to running MSN. And over the, I left Microsoft in 2002 or so, and since then I've been doing speaking, board work, and consulting with uh, senior executives and CEOs. And now I uh, have my first book coming out. Nice, nice. Well, I'd love to get into the book here in a second. I'd love to just kind of talk about the, the Microsoft days for, for a second. So Windows 95, that, that was one of the first Windows, right? Well, it was the first major Windows in terms of uh, sort of ushering computers and arguably Microsoft and Bill Gates into the mainstream. We had yeah. earlier versions of Windows going back before that. Uh, the first few versions of Windows, uh, you know, in the early 90s uh, weren't very good. Uh, then we had some solid versions with Windows 3.0 and 3.1, but Windows 95 was the seminal version of, of Windows that uh, really uh, sparked sort of a, a transformation in the computing business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, going into your strategy work, um, you know, I, I'd love to know how, you know, your time at Microsoft influenced, uh, you know, because obviously, I mean, we're in a completely different era. Uh, with Microsoft now, you know, than back then, just because the way uh, technology has evolved, um, you know, right. So I'd love to understand kind of how like that foundation has, has brought you to, you know, with what you're doing, uh, you know, over the last 20 years or so. Yeah, it all started very early, Jonathan. It, uh, when I first went to Microsoft, uh, Microsoft uh, was a company led by MS-DOS, uh, which some of your viewers probably used, <laughs> although not maybe a lot of them. Uh, but MS-DOS was the dominant operating system on PCs at the time. Uh, and PCs were more, you know, a hobbyist and enthusiast machine at that time. And what was interesting about that was Microsoft's history is that Bill Gates and Paul Allen made a bet on the PC. And that bet on the PC led to a bet on MS-DOS, which led to a deal with IBM and that deal with IBM really ushered Microsoft as a company into the heart of the PC business. And then Microsoft bet on GUI, which stands for Graphical User Interface, or simplified Windows, or a Mac for that matter. And those two bets were core strategic elements of Microsoft's success. And I witnessed those sort of uh, successes and get it laid a foundation for me about there's nothing more important to the success of a business leader than building a winning strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how do I do that? How do I build a winning strategy? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first thing is to understand what strategy is and sort of the foundation of it. Uh, put yeah. simply, I define strategy as your plan to compete. And it's all about making bets, just like I talked about with Microsoft making a bet on the PC, making a bet on GUI, now making a bet on cloud and AI and mobile, um, you know, Apple making a bet on consumer devices and uh, so forth. 
And then what, uh, but the three key elements of strategy, in my view, are sort of the foundational elements of thinking about strategy. And those three elements are customer value, market potential, and execution. And if you're gonna build a winning strategy and you wanna think about your strategy, you have to think about those three elements. And you have to think about those three elements relative to the competition because your strategy really only matters relative to the competition. It's not independent and it doesn't sit off by itself. Mm -hmm. And to help people remember those three key components, I have a fun takeoff on Einstein's famous equation E equals MC squared. Okay. And that is strategy equals E times MC squared. E for execution, M for market potential, and C for customer value. And because in most strategies, though not all, but most, customer value is by far the most important. That's why the C is squared. Yeah. No, I love it. I, you know, before the call, you and I were talking about just how strategy is a big part of what I do as well. And um, it, it's, it's interesting because it's often... Um, as necessary as it is, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate that the way you think about it is you wrap execution into the strategy because it seems like there's so many people out there who want to be the strategist, um, but they don't necessarily want to focus on either the plan of execution or even executing at all, right? Because it sounds a lot more fun <laughs> or a lot easier to just like, well, I got this idea and I've thought about it and you know, I put these elements in place of the strategy. But, um, you know, if, you, if your strategy doesn't take into account the, you know, the, the, the customer value and, and the execution, like you're saying, like, it's, it's really not a strategy at all. It's more of an idea. So, uh, yeah, the simple way to put that is if strategy is your plan to compete, well, execution is certainly a way you compete. And so, you know, you could have a, a, a poor strategy and execute well and you do not do well. You could have a great strategy and execute poorly and you won't do well. Yeah. You have to have a great strategy and execute well. Yeah. 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 I actually, I just tweeted that yesterday. I was like, you know, um, I, you know, most people want to strategize. Very few people want to execute. And, you know, I, I think what makes good founders are those that can strategize and then also execute, uh, you know, along along that plan. So let, let's dive into like kind of each one of these tenants, because I, I think each one of them uh, has a significant amount of value, of course. So, um, you know, let's just break down the customer for a second. You know, you, know, you have companies like Amazon who have forever said like they're how customer obsessed they are. And, and that's, you know, kind of like a vogue statement to say when you're thinking about how you're building companies or products is that your customer centric. Um, I think some companies maybe just use that more for the marketability of it as opposed to really being customer centric. I love if we could just kind of start the conversation on that side and then we'll move across the different tenants. Yeah, sure. I mean, Sometimes people speak customer value or customer obsession, uh, and, and like you say, they don't, they don't really uh, adapt it or embrace it. But uh, they accept it mainly in commodity businesses. You know, if you're in insurance or, or you know, if you're uh, selling, you know, uh, razor blades or something, you know, then those businesses, it's a lot more about execution and the customer mm -hmm. value is the same. But in almost every other business, the customer value makes a big difference. I mean, take an example like Tesla. Tesla hasn't necessarily executed well all the time, right? They've had production delays, uh, you know, 
Elon says crazy stuff sometimes, yet their product is a great car. And in fact, their product overcomes some of their execution uh, hiccups along the way because it's, it's such a great product. So, you know, there's a perfect example of how customer value is preeminent and why in the strategy model, a strategy first model, E times MC squared, you square the C. Now, how do you judge customer value? You know, that's a deeper question. Uh, you can do research. You could look at sales as a barometer. Uh, you can trust your instinct. Uh, you could look at, you know, what's what's uh, people are saying qualitatively. Uh, but it's hard, you know, customer value isn't easy to judge. And, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky once said that he, he wants to skate where the puck is going, not where it's been. And that's not always easy to do. Uh, but ideally, if you're trying to judge customer value, you're trying to judge not only where it is today, but where it's going. Totally, totally. When you think about the customer value, uh, the customer value about you know where where it's going, um, I, I like that that thought a lot because you know like I played sports for example, and it's like you know if you're passing the ball, you can pass the ball to someone exactly where they're at, um, and then you know they can shoot it or or whatever they can continue the play or you pass a little bit ahead of them. So kind of going along with what you're saying, like where they're going and, you know, they might have an opportunity to score uh, a little easier because it's, you know, it, it, but it takes like that, that coordination uh, together to make it happen. So. Um, yeah. I coached basketball for a long time and that's it. passing the ball in basketball. I would give that exact uh, lesson two months to the kids I coached. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, moving, um, to the next one being uh, execution overall, which you know we're kind of discussing there is, you know, how do you think about how execution plays a factor, uh, you know, overall? Obviously, there's like a plan of the execution, um, but then also the actual execution of the of the product, or, or sorry, of of, of the um, of the work that's being done. Yeah, so there's a number of factors that go into execution. The first, again, to reinforce, if you don't make the right bets in the first place, it won't matter if you execute well. Uh, so that's that's one thing to remember is you have to you have to make the right bets. Uh, I I kind of break execution down into a few components. The first is uh, your your goals, um, and you have to set have a set of goals, or you don't know what you're trying to achieve, and then a set of priorities. Uh, most businesses, you are executing thousands of things all the time as you run the business every day, which is sort of what, how I define execution. It's all the things you do to run a business every day. However, there are usually four or five things that are the most critical to the success of the, of the business strategy. And so those are what I call the priorities. You know, Steve Jobs had to get the user experience right on the iPhone, or it wouldn't matter what else he did when he was executing that product. Then there's a set of principles that you stand for that guide your execution, whether it's innovation or customer empathy or, you know, whatever your business happens to value. And then what I, what I say is you have to act. And act is not only the, you know, sort of the verb of acting and, and getting stuff done, but also it stands for align, communicate, curate, and track. You have to align all your resources along your priorities. So the most important things are well-funded with your best people, that you have the right expertise and so forth. 
you have to communicate the strategy to the team because if people don't know what the strategy is, then they're not gonna likely do a great job executing it. And by the way, it's shocking how many companies don't actually communicate well to their team. You have to curate the culture you want based on your strategy and your priorities and your principles. And then you have to track, and that's the other key thing about strategy and execution. It's not stable, it doesn't uh, sit fixed in time. You have to track to improve. And so on a regular basis, you need to see what's working, see what's not working, and make adjustments in your strategy and in your execution accordingly. And in today's world of COVID, that is even doubly more important because the world is changing so quickly that you have to think about your strategy and your execution as a part of that strategy very frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Just how you know the world of COVID has dramatically uh, changed how people have been thinking when it comes to their businesses overall. Um, you know, I think Satya said this that uh, we advanced um, like two years in you know digital transformation in in two months basically. Um, you know, you, you have a, a lot of these companies. You know, everybody's adjusting to work from home. Um, even schools, you know, and, and parents managing, you know, working from home as well as uh, having their, their, their kids um, do school from home and so forth. Uh, what are some ways you think that people have done, I guess, a good job of, of implementing against the strategy? And, you know, my guess would be is that um, the companies that have probably done the best at that have already had good strategies before. Right. And so it's more like they're relying on their principles or their um, the practice that they have and across other elements. Um, so, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that. Sure. So there's a set of companies that are just lucky because any good strategy also has a little bit of luck that goes with it. If you happen to be running the Microsoft Teams business or Zoom or you're in the uh, webcam, you know, you're Logitech and you're selling webcams, you know, that kind of stuff, you're just lucky and that business is going to go well. Although someone like Logitech has been out of product for, you know, a good four to six to eight weeks probably. Yeah. Um, so they're not managing that, you know, to just uh, their execution accordingly. So uh, some people get lucky. And then in the COVID situation, there's some people, there's not a lot they can do. Uh, it's just really terrible luck. And there's not a lot of options. If your business is shut down by the government, you know, you don't have a lot of options. Uh, right. You know, if, if you're a restaurant and you have a huge space and, uh, you know, high rent and you're not set up for takeout uh, to be profitable for you or to have, you know, food delivery work well for you, that's a problem. So there's some people on either end, um, but there are some people that have adjusted very well. You know, for example, speaking of restaurants, since it's on my mind, there's a restaurant here in town called Canalis, which is a high-end restaurant. Yeah. Uh, some of the best service and a very high-quality food in the area. Uh, and they adjusted their model to sort of a, a less expensive drive-through model uh, early on, selling pizza and stuff like that. Uh, you know, high quality product. And, you know, because they're such, have such a good reputation, that strategy made some sense for them because people trust them and that yeah. worked really well. Basically what I advise people, I wrote a blog post about this, is that they should do everything they can to be scrappy and keep things alive. Uh, and then go through the effort to have a strategy plan or offsite or, 
or executive meeting to, to make your bets about where you think we're going to go in the COVID age and then adjust your strategy and, uh, accordingly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, there, there's companies that um, rely primarily on being in person, uh, whether that is from like a company or like an office structure or, you know, commerce businesses that maybe, you know, for whatever reason, haven't uh, migrated as much to online or e-commerce as, as maybe they would have liked to. Um, but this is kind of like a, a forcing function, right? Is that if, if, uh, if you're going to have less people coming foot trafficking into your store, um, you know, you, you need to think of other ways to be able to serve them. And what's, what's interesting about all that, you know, I, I think about the restaurant example is that um, a lot of these restaurants, unfortunately, are kind of forced into these uh, paradigms of working with the food delivery companies. And so like, there's, there's, of course, benefit in that they sell product, but then it's also taking up a bunch of their margin, because they're not able to I don't know, call it vertically integrate across that delivery. But you have seen like some of these companies or restaurants are like, well, I guess we'll just take on delivery ourselves because like one to employ the people there. Uh, and then two is like, you know, you're giving up a significant amount of margin uh, to do that. So. Right. And the business model works sometimes, you know, and some types of restaurants, you know, like pizza and, Chinese food in a lot of areas they're they're they've been doing it for years and they know how to do it yeah. uh, but in in other cases it doesn't work or if you're in a urban core area where you know people are close together and delivery is more feasible and you have the volume you sometimes can make it work sure. it's a it, I mean it's no doubt a tough situation and as you mentioned Jonathan the companies that have already had already done a lot of their digital transformation uh, have an advantage and if they haven't then they're you know, going through their transformation now. I will say in a few cases, there are opportunities though. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll pick a sort of a, a made up example. Uh, let's say you're a local bookstore and you're serving your local area. And this uh, COVID situation has forced you to transform your business to be a lot stronger on the digital side. Well, now if you think of the model E times MC squared, you might have an opportunity to increase your market potential because now you're stronger digitally and you could deliver product anywhere, just like you know Amazon, maybe not quite as effectively or efficiently as Amazon, but you could decide that you're gonna specialize in certain types of books, you could decide to expand your area of coverage, you can decide to add a different type of focus, you could have you know, uh, more interviews with authors and, and so on and so forth. So in a few cases, you can not only just be scrappy to survive, but because you've gone to a digital model, you might have the opportunity to rethink your strategy. And in the example I just gave, think more about how you grow your market potential as a way to make up for the lost uh, walking traffic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we start thinking about the, you know, part of the strategy in regards to competition, you know, I, I've definitely heard, um, you know, different points of view on that, right? Like one is like being very aware of your competition and two is kind of slightly the opposite of like taking it into account, but not necessarily letting that drive your decision-making. So uh, I'd love to understand how you think about the competition element when it comes to how you're strategizing and, and what you're doing for your business. So in my view, uh, the competition is central. Uh, your strategy does only matter relative to your competition and ignoring your competition is doing that is at your own peril. So to me, you can't build a great strategy without thinking about what your competition do is doing, 
where your competition is going, what their expertise is versus you. And in fact, I have a, a worksheet that I, I give to clients. It's very simple and it's designed for them to adapt it to their business um, that they fill out to talk about what their strategy is and what their strategy is vis-a-vis -vis the competition. And then they could take that same, well, actually what's interesting first is to point out that if you have a team that fill, an executive team and you fill out the worksheet, what you find is the leadership team doesn't usually fill it out the same way. Not everyone is completely aligned on what the strategy is for a lot of businesses. But once you get alignment and that process forces that alignment, then you could talk about where you're going and you could look at your competition versus you and say, you know, what's our customer value versus the competition? And where can we provide a unique value to our customers based on our, our expertise, our DNA, based on, you know, sort of uh, our, our, our bet on where the business is going and so forth. So I think competition is central to building a winning strategy. You have to understand and have great customer obsession and empathy and provide great customer value relative to your competition. So you better know your competitors. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, what are some things that, uh, that you're seeing, or I guess that you've seen? So you, you, you've, um, you know, advise a lot of companies from board level, you know, across uh, when it comes to strategy, you know, what are some things that you're seeing from the old paradigm? And, and I guess what I'm saying old is, you know, pre-COVID to like post-COVID and like, what do you think will change? Uh, will we go back to quote unquote normal and, and, and people forget from a business context? Um, not necessarily from a social context. I mean, I think that's a totally different conversation, but from a business context, um, how do you think people start to uh, change their strategies? You know, especially when you think of some like these larger companies and, you know, even everything from uh, focus on, on the work from home, but then, you know, from the overall business model, what do you think are going to be the biggest shifts uh, in how people establish their overall company strategy? Uh, so I think we'll see a few things, uh, you know, in terms of the overall strategy, I think you'll probably see a little less globalization. So people have more control over their supply chain. I think you'll see more automation as people look for ways to be able to compete in this era uh, and be able to deal with something like this where, you know, maybe you can't have people building something or, or uh, you know, automation is necessary just for, uh, being able to react more quickly. Uh, so I think automation, AI, I think, uh, 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 you know, more secu secure and reliable supply chains will be some of the things you'll see. And then outside of the strategies, and, uh, so, oh, of course, in the digital thing that we already talked about. Uh, and then outside of that, you're going to see probably more people working at home, fewer people working in the office, offices set up differently. That's not a core strategy issue. That's just sort of a work lifestyle issue but you'll see a lot of that, I think, as well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we, we've seen this throughout the course of, call it business history, is the companies that don't adapt to the change um, end up going away. Maybe not right away, but they end up going away. Um, I think the easiest example is, uh, in recent memory, is, you know, e-commerce and what that did to overall commerce. Uh, often you get uh, you get Amazon blamed for you know 
putting Sears and, and some of these companies out of business. But what people forget is that when e-commerce was hitting, a lot of those companies uh, in the big box brick and mortar were just um, very slow to react, right? And so it left like this vortex to be able to create. And the, the traditional long-term e-commerce giants, or sorry, commerce giants that are still around um, and still doing you know, relatively well, uh, are the ones that adopted to e-commerce rather quickly, right? So you think of companies like Target or Best Buy, like, sure, like they have had a significant, you know, pull from online, but they also went into online. But then when you think of like a company like, you know, Sears or Macy's um, and some of these that were more slower to react, um, they've, they've uh, you know, they've, they've, they've been left behind, you know, no better way to put it. And so uh, I think we'll definitely see something similar here, right? As, as, as companies, if, if they say like, oh, well, we'll just wait for things to go back to normal. It's like, well, even let's just say, even if they do go back to normal, there has been uh, benefits, you know, there's, there's some benefits to working from home or to being from home that people will attribute, right? And so people have to adapt to that uh, in their business strategy. Curious what your thoughts are just overall with, with that. Yeah, so um, certainly when you think about your strategy, I, I, I talk about uh, in the book uh, five key tips to helping build the winning strategies and maximize your customer value, your execution, and your market potential. Mm-hmm. And the first is to seek change. And as you discussed, people who don't adapt to change uh, are less likely to be successful. And there's lots of different types of change, right? There's innovation, there's societal change, you know, uh, now probably we might see more casual clothing because of the uh, whole COVID thing. Uh, so, you you know, there's there's change based on technology, a company building a business around the web. There's, you know, uh, lots of different types of change people can seek. And if you don't seek that change, like a Sears uh, that you mentioned, um, then that's going to be a problem. You know, uh, Blockbuster didn't adjust to the change when Netflix did. And you could go through many examples of that. Another is what I say is to mine the gaps. And mining the gaps, when you talk about the strategy first model and, and the tips, is really about finding holes where people aren't executing well or aren't providing enough customer value. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of great searches, and then Google just built a much, much better search. Uh, and that was sort of the foundational thing that led to, to Google. You know, another thing I talk about is adapt to the tides, which ironically is almost the exact same language you used. Uh, you have to also, when you build your strategy, take advantage of the, and understand the external events going on around you. And, you know, uh, tides is also an acronym. I like acronyms, I guess. Uh, tides is technology change institutional while you know what government is doing obviously impacts your uh, your strategy demographics is another key one people in different you know baby boomers are different than gen z you know and so forth uh economic and environmental and societal and those are all tides that you have to adapt to and covid's not just a tide it's a tsunami uh that it you know is really important and then i talk about uh you know the importance of expanding your universe, which is growing your business. We talked an example of that with the bookstore a little while ago, so I won't get into that, but whether it's acquisition or, or new customer sets or revised products, there's lots of ways to uh, build, uh, build and adjust your strategy. And finally, it's what I call building tall walls and climbing short walls. 
And building tall walls is about building ways to get loyalty from your customers. And there's lots of different types of tall walls you can build. Some are based on brand, some are based on marketing, like a frequent flyer program. Some are based on product and technology, like the iPhone uh, has, you know, FaceTime and, you know, the iPhone chat and, and the whole app store. And when you we're using all those things, it makes it harder for you to switch. Uh, and Apple's done a brilliant job with their strategy. When we built Windows, all the Windows apps led to more people wanting to use Windows, which led to more people wanting to build Windows apps. And that that virtuous cycle, uh, we, uh, we call a network effect. There's lots of different types of those, and that's another way to sort of cement your strategy. And during this COVID time, you know, thinking about those types of tips in order to adjust your strategy will be critical. Totally, definitely, definitely. Uh, well, Brad, I feel like I talked about this uh, all day, but uh, since we're wrapping up here, uh, a question I love to ask everybody on my show is simply, what is a question that you want to ask uh, those of our listeners um, that they can kind of go about their day and think about? What's a, what's a, what's a question you'd like to ask them? Uh, the question I would ask your listeners is, what is your strategy, your plan to compete, uh, and with what degree of confidence could you say that everyone in your company understands and is executing on that strategy? Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you say that too, because I, yeah, often I'll come into an organization and it's the strategy that's in the different stakeholders' minds is slightly different. <laughs> and then they wonder like why things aren't, forget, things aren't getting built the way they'd expected them to be, or, you know, there's conflict and it's like, well, Part of that, yeah, I, I'm you know, being a product manager. I'm a big fan of documentation of that strategy, so that way that it, you you have less less issues there. Uh, Brad, what are some good ways that people can stay in touch with you, follow you, um, pay attention to what you're doing? So there's two ways. Uh, the first is I'm on LinkedIn, and that's uh, where I put a lot of the information you know, posts and blog posts and stuff like that. Or you could go directly to my website, which is bradchase.net. Uh, either one of those are the way to follow me and hear what I have to say. And of course, the, my, my book, Strategy First, uh, is available on, in any, any book channel and is just coming up now in, in June. I'm not sure when we're running this, but... Uh, yeah, but, we'll run it soon. Well, great. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate you uh, for joining me. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Again, please make sure that you are liked and subscribed uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and fill in those stars. It goes a long way in helping us climb the charts and make sure other people get to listen to uh, and, and hear from great speakers like Brad. Uh, and then you can follow me at, at JG Product or at TF Labs uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon.